Morning, Sun Valley. It's good to see you today. I do hope you had a uh, good celebration of the Lord's birth in your home, um, giving and receiving of gifts and love, which is what Christ did for us, right? Giving the greatest gift of all. We come now to the last Sunday of the year, the calendar year here, and it is a um, I think an important Sunday. Obviously, last Sunday is a high Sunday in the Christian calendar, but this Sunday is, uh, I think, a Sunday that allows us to reflect a little bit on where we've been and where we might be going. If you're like me, my life, my days, my weeks, months, and years are filled with concerns that at times trouble me and at times um, cause me to struggle with anxiety or concerns that I really oughtn't to have because we, we uh, are loved by a sovereign Lord, aren't we? And so this is a battle for, I think, for most of us, including me, and um, this, is, this particular Sunday, I think, is, is worth setting aside to address this very thing. And so what I'm going to do today is to uh, pick out a, a verse in the Old Testament and uh, exposit it for you. We're going to take a week break from the Gospel of Mark and come back next week, Lord willing, to um, continue in that great study that I've been thoroughly enjoying. But today, I want to just have you think a little bit about this past year and then take the things that we've learned from this past year and also what we are going to learn from this verse from Psalm 31 and apply it to this coming year, all right? So um, I don't have to say this to you, but uh, the past year has been nothing short of uh, spectacular, <laughs> hasn't it? With all the things that we faced, all the twists and turns, all the challenges, everything that has really confronted us has been a challenge. And next year, who knows what it'll bring? If it's anything like the last two years, I'm sure it'll be exciting. But listen to this verse written by King David and see if you can immediately see the value of contemplating it. My times are in your hand. Psalm 31, 15. My times are in your hand. The sermon I'm going to preach to you is not my own. All right, so, and, and I'm sure you know this, but um, when I study week in and week out, I, I go to resources. And so very few of my sermons, if any, have ever been my own. All right, I'm not, I'm not saying I go and grab someone else's sermon and preach it. I'm saying I, I, I study, I, I read, I think, and take those things and put them together for your benefit, Lord willing. But today is uniquely this way 
because I, I read a sermon from a man named Octavius Winslow. And that name enough is impressive to repeat, right? Octavius Winslow. Um, we were never bold enough to name our child something like that, Octavius, but maybe we should have. Um, anyways, Octavius Winslow was born in 1808 and he died in 1878. He was a contemporary with Charles Spurgeon. He was an English pastor, theologian, uh, writer, and he preached a sermon in the 1800s that I read here about two months ago, maybe three, and it, it radically grabbed hold of my mind and heart. And I thought, Sun Valley Church needs to hear this. I was tempted to just read his sermon to you this morning um, because I lack the eloquence and brain power to say the things he said the way he said them. But because I couldn't bring myself to be that much of a thief, I decided to take his thoughts and um, restructure them with my own words. But really, these, these thoughts came from Octavius Winslow. So, uh, Psalm 31:15, my times are in your hand. Where does your mind go when you read something like that? Mine just, my brain catches on fire when I read stuff like that and thinks, and thinks about all the things that, that apply and are true because of that truth. I think we can quickly read past Psalm 31:15. You may never have thought about that verse. I'm not sure I had before I read this sermon. My times are in your hands. I know that kind of because I'm a Christian and I've been a Christian for a long time, but to think deeply about it changes things. At least it did for me. And so we don't really pause when we come across statements this profound to think about the significance of what King David was writing. Um, he wrote this psalm, by the way, near the end of his life, so he had a lifetime to prove the statement, my life is in your hands. This, this truth not only brought King David great assurances about his past, but going forward, can you imagine what this kind of theology does for your future? I think David felt this truth deeply. I think his words will bring us the same kind of comfort, peace, and assurance. At least that's been my prayer, that these words would do that for you as we head into the new and unknown year of 2022. So first of all, my first point is our life is in his hand. What does it mean when, when David says, my times are in your hand? First of all, it means that my life, my all of my life is in the hand of God. In times of turmoil, heartache, uncertainty, joy, all these things are in God's hands. And I think if we think just briefly about these words, that they would rival any other words of hope that we might find in Scripture. As we move through life, I think these words become more and more important the older we get. The, the future, of course, is mysterious to us, isn't it? Uh, even things that we daily experience are mysterious. Disagreement proves there's mystery in things. 
And I think we've had our share of disagreement this past year, haven't we? If, if anything, there's mystery in the coronavirus thing, right? There's, there's mystery in the solution to the coronavirus thing. There's mystery to the politics surrounding all of this. There's, there's mystery in every single subject you bring up. Because you'll always find someone that disagrees with your opinion, which proves there's mystery. <laughs> right? Unless you're arrogant enough to think that your opinion is the final word. Um, but nobody liked that in this room. But listen to this. One of the things this verse says is that to God there is no mystery. There's no mystery. His purposes are fixed. He knows everything about everything. There, there are no contingencies around future events in his plans and thinking. He sees the future as clearly as he sees the past. Listen to this verse from Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times to the things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. We just sang a song about that. I will accomplish all my purpose. And then to assure you that this just isn't just an Old Testament concept, Paul repeats the same kind of thing in Ephesians 1. In verse 11, he says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Everything that happens, happens because he has ordained it. He has planned it. My times, past, present, and future, are in his hands. Does that give you hope? <laughs> Should. Well, many times we might think that we would like to know what lies in our future. You ever thought that? Man, I wish I knew what was going to happen here or there. I think that sounds enticing, at least at first. Um, I'm sure there would, there would be things that would cause us to say, if I had known the outcome, I wouldn't have decided to do it that way, right? I, I sure wouldn't have done that if I would have known that was going to happen. I mean, we have all been there. But that type of thinking, according to this verse, is unproductive because we have a God who, in his perfect wisdom, perfect love, perfect power, has hidden these things from us, future things, intentionally. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 8.2. By the way, there's going to be a lot on the overhead here and a few quotes from Winslow himself. But this is a quote from Moses. Deuteronomy 8.2, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years, talking about the 40 years wandering in the wilderness, the people of Israel, um, that he might humble you. This is why he did it, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether, it would keep, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God knew what was going to take place, but he, he, does, he blocks our view, blocks our, our vision of the future so that certain things can be accomplished. So one of the things that I want you to hear this morning as we contemplate the statement, our times are in his hands, is the character of God. 
The character of God is on the bottom level here that's important for us to grasp. Is God a faithful guide? Is he a good counselor? Is he a loving, kind, and patient father? This is the issue that we need to grapple with as we look to our past and, more importantly, to our future. I think we can establish a biblical perspective simply by reviewing the past, our own personal past. Has God led us, you, me, in the right way? In your times of confusion, has he been a good guide? When you've been in unstable circumstances, did he shine a light on your path? In the mistakes that you made, the sins that you committed, was he a gentle and forgiving savior? Just consider your own past for a moment. All of our experiences have been intentionally ordained by God to build our trust in him and our dependence on him, drawing us into a deeper communion with him. I want you to hear that, so I'm going to say it again. All of our experiences have been intentionally ordained by God to build our trust in him and our dependence on him in order to draw us into a deeper communion with him. Octavius Winslow writes this, Beloved, God has placed us in a school in which he is teaching us to lay our blind reason at his feet, to cease from our own wisdom and guidance and lean upon and confide in him. As children with a parent, the goodness of God to us, combined with a jealous regard to his own glory, constrains him to conceal the path along which he conducts us. His promise is, I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things I will do unto them and not forsake them. I think today, as we consider the verse in front of us, Psalm 31, verse 15, I think we'll see... Um, the character of God in a way that brings about thanksgiving and confidence as we look to the future. Um, knowing that our times are in his hand. And I think you'll respond with thanksgiving in your heart when I say this to you. Our times are in God's hands, not our own. Aren't you thankful? Our times are in God's hand, not our spouses, not our parents, not our boss, not our pastor. Aren't you thankful? Can you imagine if your times were dependent on any of those? They're in his hand. Even when we've been disobedient, unworthy, unfaithful, our times are in his hands. And to be sure you, you know the detail of God's oversight, the, the detail that David was considering when he wrote this, I want to, you to think about a few things. First, our prosperity is in his hands. And I think there is never a more precarious time in the Christian life 
than when we experience prosperity. This may sound strange to you because we associate prosperity with God's blessing normally, but if there is one thing that draws our hearts away from intimacy with Christ, isn't it when things are going well for us? Isn't it that when we forget him is when, ah, I can do this life thing. When we're experiencing prosperity in our jobs, our homes, our relationships, even in our health, we tend to think less and less of our need for Christ. We become complacent in spiritual matters. This has been proven over and over again by everybody in this room. We should always be wary of the trap of prosperity. Listen to what Moses said in Deuteronomy 8, verses 13 through 18. This is God speaking through Moses to his people. And when your herds and flocks multiply, prosperity, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Is he speaking to us or to Israel? <laughs> this is critical to remember. God is the one who brings blessing. He's the one who causes success for a purpose. You remember James says that, that the Father, our Father, the Father of heavenly lights is the one who brings good gifts to his children. Our times are in his hands. Our prosperity is in his hands. Next, our, ang our adversity is in his hands. This is a, a certain truth that I think must be imprinted on our minds. And you may want to make a little poster of it and put it on your refrigerator. Our adversity is in his hands. Many times when we experience some kind of adversity, we immediately think that it possibly can't be from God, right? Well, Let's think about this. If God is who brings good gifts and adversity, we would put in the category of bad things. Of course, we would think it can't be from God. But what if the adversity is designed by God to accomplish good? Then it's a gift from God, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think scripture is clear here that God is behind our adversity for specific reasons. Listen to Job 5, verses 5 and, or 6 and 7. For affliction does not come from the dust, it just doesn't spring from the ground, right? <laughs> Nor does it sprout from the ground, there you go. But man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. God has designed our adversity to accomplish certain things. Not only are there numerous examples of this in Scripture, Job, for example, Joseph for another, but there are multiple verses that support this reality. 
That adversity comes from God. How about this one from Isaiah 45? God says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. Hold on. God creates calamity? Mm-hmm. I am the Lord who does all these things. Listen to Winslow again in his view on this. Sorrow cannot come until God bids it. <clears throat> Health cannot fade. Wealth cannot vanish. Comfort cannot decay. Friendship cannot chill. Loved ones cannot die until his sovereignty permits. This means that any time of sorrow, pain, hardship is by God's appointment. In other words, any negative experience, even if it comes from others in our life, isn't ultimately from them, but from God. <laughs> this is critical. Knowing this and submitting to it, I think, would solve 90% of our relational problems. We all experience hard times, but the comfort in them is that God ordains, ordains them for our good. No matter how intense the adversity, even if it comes from people in our lives, God is in the background orchestrating it. You remember the story of King David when his son Absalom ran him out of Jerusalem? Remember that? And there was this guy uh, on the path out of Jerusalem throwing dirt clods at King David and cursing him upside one down the other. And the leader of, of David's army, Joab, said, King, let me go cut his head off. And what did David say? The Lord has sent him. <laughs> the Lord. And so all the times that you're offended by what your neighbor or your spouse or your boss says, who sent them? For what purpose? For your good. Even if it's unfair and untrue what is said, God sent them. Maybe if we took on that perspective, our marriages would get healthy. Our friendships would improve. God might be glorified. So, as you face sickness, loss, or heartache in the coming year, keep this important truth in mind. My times are in God's hands. It's from his hand for our good. Winslow, again. Dear child of God, your afflictions, your trials, your crosses, your losses, your sorrows, all, all are in your heavenly Father's hand, and they cannot come until sent by him. Bow that stricken heart, yield that tempest-tossed soul to his sovereign disposal, to his calm, righteous sway, in the submissive spirit and language of your suffering Savior. Say this, your will, O my Father, not mine be done. My times of sadness and grief are in your hand. Do you have that perspective? I, sadly, many times I do not. And by the way, the, the reason this sermon hit me so hard is because I need it so badly when I read it. Next, not only are 
prosperity and adversity, but our discouragement, listen to this, our discouragement is in his hand. What in the world? As we think about all the things that God oversees, we need to simultaneously keep in mind that he has purpose behind our experience, and his purposes always include our good. One of the reasons I preached Romans 8 again to you last spring was to cover this point from Romans 8:28. All things, including your discouragement, work together for your good. Losing battles with temptation brings discouragement, depression, anxiety. These things cause great discouragement. Sometimes these experiences cause us to feel alienated by God, not loved by God. Maybe that we made him a little bit too angry last time we sinned. But even these things are in the Lord's hands. The purpose of discouragement is to build your humility and dependence on God to bring you running into his presence. Winslow. All your cares are Christ's care. All your sorrows are Christ's sorrow. All your need is Christ's supply. All your sicknesses are Christ's cure. All your crosses are Christ's burden. Your life, temporal, spiritual, eternal, is hid with Christ in God. Oh, the unutterable blessings that spring from a vital union with the Lord Jesus. The believer can exultantly say, Christ and I are one, one in nature, one in affection, one in sympathy, one in fellowship, and one through the countless ages of eternity. The life I live is a life of faith in him. I fly to him in the confidence of a loving friend. I reveal to him my secret sorrow. I confess to him my hidden sin. I acknowledge my heart backsliding. I make known to him my needs, my sufferings, my fears. I tell him how chilled is my affection, how reserved is my obedience, how imperfect my service, and yet how I long to love him more ardently, to follow him more closely, to serve him more devotedly, to be more holy and holily his. Maybe I should have just read his sermon. (laughs) Wow. Next, our death is in his hand. And I, I pray that this will be a comfort to all of us, but particularly to those who may be a bit apprehensive about that date. How important is it that our death is in God's hand? With all the concerns of health, safety, fears surrounding our personal dying, it's a great assurance and brings great peace to know that our death is in the hand of a loving Heavenly Father. Everything about our death is in His hand, not just the day, but the means of our death. The day we die will be the day we see Jesus. Our earthly journey and all the challenges that face us during this journey will be over. The Lord will have deemed that our trials have accomplished his purposes in us and that our purpose for being on this planet to bring glory to him is over, finished. All our sorrows and tears will end in that moment. Our corruptible body will take on incorruption, our mortality, immortality we will immediately be made complete like Jesus. Won't that be a great day? 
we will be like him when we see him as he is. And I think these truths, these precious truths, quiet our fears. On this side of death, it is a great comfort to know that our last enemy, death, is kept at bay until God summons. That alone is gold, isn't it? That day must wait until the Lord calls. We are invincible until Jesus says, come. Psalm 23 is famously helpful for our fearful soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. The same one who wrote, my times are in your hands. As we consider that phrase, my times are in your hands, I want you to think about our times are in whose hands. Who is this one that we call God who holds our time in his hand? Over the years I've developed, I think, a foundational truth, at least to me. I've mentioned it numerous times to you in hopes that you would adopt it. And it's especially important when there is uncertainty and unknown, like the day of your death, like the mystery that faces all of us every day of different things. This, this foundational truth is what I call a theology of trust. A theology of trust. And I think this is critical for a healthy Christian life. I can't explain many things in life, in scripture, Choose a subject. I probably can't explain it. But I can rest in knowing that God is good, kind, wise, and loving. Especially when the things that I see with my own eyes do not make sense. A theology of trust. When I think about all that could possibly upset me in this life, health concerns, job issues, friendship challenges, finances, suffering people I see around me every day, my mind needs a rock on which I can rest. And so does yours. And so King David writes this, from the end of the earth, Psalm 61, I call to you when my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. There has to be something bigger, stronger than me if I'm going to survive this day. And so, whose hand are my times in? The Bible says a father's hand. A father's hand. Our heavenly father is that rock that Psalm 61 was referring to. In times of trial, temptation, suffering, danger, good times, bad times, life or death, my life is in my Father's hand. And I know some of you haven't had the best relationship with your earthly father, but our heavenly Father is perfect in every way. In every way that we wish our earthly Father would be, our heavenly Father is. What confidence does that bring? What peace? My times are in my Father's hand. 
Nothing will happen to me that's not from the hand of my loving Father. Nothing will happen to me that's not in the hand of my good Father. Nothing will happen to me that is not in the hand of my kind Father. Loving, good, and kind, and powerful enough to pull all of it off for my good and his glory. My times are in my Father's hands. Next, my times are in my Redeemer's hands. The one who holds my past, my present, and my future is not only my Father, but he's my Redeemer. My Redeemer is the one who has carried me in his heart since before I was born. My Redeemer knows every ounce of my weakness, sin, unfitness, and yet he remains committed to my redemption and joy throughout it all. Wow. I can cast all my cares on him because he cares for me. That's my Redeemer. Winslow, oh yes, in that hand, that still bears in its palm the print of the nail are all my times, and I will trust and not be afraid. Does that give you hope, peace, confidence? Galatians 2.20, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My life is in my Redeemer's hands. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? My life is in my Redeemer's hands. Now let's get to the application of this, if there hasn't been an abundance already. I think this particular subject, this particular verse, these thoughts concerning this verse contain a year's worth of application. <laughs> Which is why I'm saying it now so you can start applying it today throughout 2022. For the unsaved in the room, or who might be listening, those who don't know Christ, if you've not embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you might wonder where you stand in these things. Is my life in his hand? Let me just say this. Every human is dependent. There is no independent human. Everything in creation is dependent upon the creator. <laughs> You're dependent on God whether you believe it or not. In fact, your next breath depends on his grace and mercy. The minute he stops sustaining your lungs, it's over. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, your life literally is in his hands. No matter what your opinions are or where your thoughts and actions might take you, God is there. He is not blind to the details of your life. You are either living under his grace and mercy or under his judgment. Jesus said, if you do not believe, you are under judgment currently. But you are in his hands. And so I plead with you to turn your life over to him. Run to him with your rebellious heart. 
and ask for his grace. Take your uncertainty to Jesus and lay it at his feet. Ask God to grant you faith to believe. In loving care, come to that one. Friends, if God and being in his hands has sounded winsome to you this morning, then simply step towards him by faith. Don't wait until all your questions are answered because they will not be answered in this lifetime. I guarantee it. Go to Jesus now by faith. Don't think your sinfulness is too great for God to forgive because Jesus saves no one but sinners. Remember, we we studied that recently in Mark. I came to save the unrighteous. And I know a few people who fit in that category. Ask him for faith to believe. Look to him expectantly. Believe that the blood of Jesus on Calvary was spilt for you. And there's no way that you can earn this salvation, so stop trying. It's only a gift that saves. Romans 4, 5, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Not going to work your way there. Not going to earn merit. Winslow. It is not great faith. So you might think, okay, I don't have that great a faith. Well, listen. It's not great faith, nor deep experience, nor extensive knowledge that's required. And how many examples of that do we have in Scripture? The dimmest eye that ever looked to Christ, the feeblest hand that ever took hold of Christ, the most trembling step that ever traveled to Christ, has in it present salvation, has in it life eternal. The smallest measure of real faith will take the soul to heaven. Yes, there is hope for the trembling penitent, the one who comes in repentance is what that means. Jesus suffered to the uttermost, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him. Run to Jesus. So my prayer for you is that this coming year be a year of renewal and life. That you will leave behind your stubbornness, your selfishness, your pride, whatever that's keeping you from God. May God replace that hard heart with a pliable, soft, and receptive heart. Don't spend another year testing God's patience and relying on your own wisdom and power. What a waste. And now, how about application for the saved? That would be most of us in this room. But don't assume things, okay? Assuming things about your place in Christ is not a good idea. But for the saved, as we stand here on the threshold of a new year, let's keep these truths constantly before us. My times are in his hands. God's hand addresses our anxieties, our grief, our illness, our depression, our loss, our loneliness, our need, whatever. God's hand addresses those things. Do you have a theology of trust? We must embrace this dependency that that this truth reveals 
Our times are in his hands. That makes you a dependent person, right? If you believe and understand that your times, day in and day out, the details that we just covered are in the hand of God, you are by definition a dependent person. So, embrace it. Instead of run from it, instead of resist it, embrace it and take the advantage that dependency has in it, which God intends. Martin Luther wrote this to his friend, Melanchthon. Grace and peace in Christ. Is that how you start your emails? (laughs) Grace and peace in Christ. In Christ, I say, and not in the world. Amen. I hate with exceeding hatred those extreme cares which consume you. If the cause is unjust, abandon it. If the cause is just, why should we belie the promises of him who commands us to sleep without fear? Can the devil do more than kill us? Christ will not be lacking to the work of justice and of truth. He lives, he reigns. What fear then can we have? God is powerful to upraise his cause if it is overthrown, to make it proceed if it remains motionless. And if we are not worthy of it, he will do it by others. For our cause is in the very hands of him who can say, no one shall pluck it out of my hands. I would not have it in our hands, and it would not be a desirable it would not be desirable that it were so. If I had many things in my hands, and I have lost them all, I have had many things in my hands, and I've lost them all. Ditto. But whatever I have been able to place in God's, I still possess. Friends. God's hands addresses our anxieties. We must embrace dependency. And finally, I want to close with this. My times are in God's hands, and so be thankful. If anything, be thankful. We have so much to be thankful for as believers, and the truth that our times are in God's hands is one of the greatest truths we possess. Can you imagine if your times were, in, were not in his hands, but in yours? God's goodness has placed us only in his hands. Winslow. Trust God implicitly for the future. No sorrow comes, but shall open some sweet spring of comfort. No necessity transpires, but shall endear a father's care. No affliction befall, but shall be attended with the Savior's tenderest sympathy. In him meet all confluence of grace for your hourly momentary need. Let your constant prayer be, hold me up and I shall be safe. Let your daily precept be casting all your cares on him for he cares for you and then leave God to fulfill as most faithfully he will his own gracious and precious precious promise as your days so shall your strength be. As long as you're alive, God will support you. 
Thus, walking with God through this veil of tears until you exchange sorrow for joy, suffering for ease, sin for purity, labor for rest, conflict for victory, and all earth's checkered gloomy scenes for the changeless, cloudless happy, happiness and glory of heaven. Amen. Pray with me. Father, there's no greater truth than to know that our times are in the hands of a loving, faithful, wise, and strong Heavenly Father. Oh, Lord, I pray that in your grace and mercy you would allow us at Sun Valley Church to embrace this to live by this truth day in and day out, every hour, every minute of the day. Holy Spirit, keep these thoughts in the forefront of our thinking daily. I pray for everybody in this room, I pray for all of us at Sun Valley Church, Father, that this would be our, our, our mentality as we enter another year of uncertainty, that our times are in your hands. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for this truth. Um, burn it into our brain. And I pray this in the name of who loves us. Amen.